Today's episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Gamers Inn, your one-stop location for all your gaming needs. Located in Lehigh City, Utah, their fun and friendly staff will be more than happy to answer any of your gaming needs. Just remember, Gamers Inn, it's where adventures begin. Broadcasting live from the DCR studio. Oh, yeah! The Geek Revolution starts here. Excellent! Get ready for the number one hit geek radio show out there. Well, it is impressive, isn't it? Because it's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. It's Monday. It is Monday. We're, Monday well, blues. sort of. <laughs> it is. Yes, we're here. Uh, and, and we have an exciting guest on uh, the show today who we'll be talking to. And it is, I, 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 I know I'm going to botch this, so I'm going to say it. If I botch it, I'm sorry. You can correct <laughs> me. So it's Anastasia Dragunov. Yes. Awesome! Wow. I was I sitting here judging you for a second there, and now I know that was not easy. <laughs> yes. Not easy. Awesome. So... How are things going in the world of cosplay? Uh, things are are okay. They're kind of slow right now. I've had to take some time off for some personal stuff lately. But uh, things are going. Nice. So it, now you design a lot of your own costumes, and they're more kind of a steampunk type uh, feel yes. to them. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and, I do. And the ones you're most known for is uh, the Steampunk Power Girl and Steampunk Thanos, if, I, Ooh, if, if I'm Steampunk not mistaken. Steampunk Thanos. Yes. I like that. The Infinity Gears. Yes. That's going to yes. out. So, um, what other uh, franchises or uh, franchises yeah. have you delved into? Um, well, I've started working on um, some anime cosplays and also some gaming cosplays, but they're... Um, my gaming ones are a lot bigger builds <laughs> than my steampunk superheroes, so it's not something that's going to be out probably anytime soon. Um, I'm working on a steampunk uh, Samus suit, Ooh. like the full suit, but wow. it's a massive build. Um, I've got a couple anime, anime stuff that I'm working on uh, with some friends. I've got a new cosplay partner, so... We've got uh, some stuff in the works pretty soon. So, what would you call your favorite franchise to dip into as far as cosplay? Hmm. Probably gaming. All right. I mean, I watch I watch a lot of anime, and I'm pretty into comics. But I've spent um probably like fifty percent of my life in video games. So. So it's you're obviously my heart is. in the Samus area. What other areas in video games like really catch your eye? Like that needs to be a costume. That needs to be a costume, etc. Uh, I've talked about doing a Dragon Age cosplay before, but the main problem is is that I love doing. I play a lot of MMOs and a lot of RPGs, and you know, with that territory comes putting your own gear together usually, mm-hmm. and so. It may be like a franchise that people know, but 
when you build your own gear and it's not something that's super specific, it then becomes obscure, which makes it hard for me because uh, I want to cosplay my own characters that I make in MMOs and RPGs, but at the same time, I want people to know what it is. Um, I've talked about doing a Dragon Age cosplay before, and there's a really almost DLC legend uh, armor that's the Warden, the Grey Warden armor. And um, it's blue and gold, and it's amazing and super, like, intricate. But that, too, is going to be a pretty pretty intense build because it's there's so much detail. It's not just flat armor with a little bit of, like, an insignia. I mean, it's every single piece has detail on it. Wow. And if I'm not mistaken, you actually design and build every single piece, whether that's the gears or... Uh, armor pieces and everything, correct? Yes. The only thing that I don't do is, like, make my own shoes. And I don't build my own corsets. And that's strictly because it takes too long, and corsets are a pain in the ass. And I'd rather make sure that I buy one that fits properly and is really comfortable instead of trying to make it myself because my costumes already take forever. I don't want to add an extra two weeks just to build corset. Yeah, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound fun at all. That's the rule of the cosplayer. You know, you want to make sure that you get this thing out. And if there's resources that you know add to the the value of the costume, then why not? And to your comment about like wanting to make your own cosplays that are based off of your RPG characters and stuff like that, I say more power to you. Uh, I think it's more like meaningful when somebody comes up and says, "Oh my gosh, are you from Dragon Age?" And it's something that you created in that realm. Mm-hmm. That to me is the biggest compliment. And if I only get one or two of those at a convention, like that is like super worth it to me. Nice. See, I I really want to, and it's it's been on the list for a few years now. It's just taken me like going back and forth because. The biggest issue is most cons, when they look at what you're bringing out, they want to make sure that it's something recognizable to everybody that's going to be there or a majority of the people that are attending the con. So if it's something obscure, then they're less likely to be like, oh, well, then don't bring that because no one knows what it is. So that's talking in the realm of professional cosplaying, correct? Yeah. Yes. So that, that brings up a good question. So when you do to go to conventions, so do they kind of dictate what costumes you can and can't bring then? No, um, I've had suggestions okay. on what I should bring, but it's never been a, you can't bring this, just bring this. Okay. So, and then um, there have been a few cons where afterwards I've gotten the whole, um, maybe don't wear that next time. Uh, and those are usually more family events than I realized until I got there. Okay. So, but the only costume that actually happens with is my Power Girl. Apparently it's a, a little too much. For a hmm. family. Well, you'll get that sometimes, but you want to stay true to the franchise, I think, is the most important thing. So. Yeah. Right. And I'm sorry, you can't just make Power Girl modest. That's just not possible. No, no. I mean, the, 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 the fact that she's got this giant oval on her chest that just shows everything. I mean, come on. It's Power yeah. Girl. She kind of shows off the fact that she's busty. It, hey, I made mine more modest. I gave her a skirt and a bustle. And there you go. 
It, it was That's about modest. as modest as she gets. Yeah. And, and you want to be respectful to the original artist that designed the costume, designed the character. Yeah. And so I think, you know, when it comes to cons, especially in Utah, you know, I love Comic-Con. I love all that kind of stuff. But there is more of a family value out here. And mm-hmm. I can see a lot of people maybe wanting to go in with their costumes being denied or saying they need to make adjustments. And to me, that's just kind of like, ah, that sucks. I get it. I totally get it. It's their con, and we'll respect that. But at the same time, right. you do want to be respectful to the artist. And I, th- I, I commend you for finding I mean, an even ground. That's also kind of like complaining about people wearing a Slave Leia costume. I mean, let's face it, there's not much there. Um, yeah. And that's an iconic costume. It really is. Um, and for people to complain, well, you should have picked something else. Well, no, you should cosplay what, what resonates what, with yeah, you. Yeah, what resonates with you and what you feel comfortable with. Honesty, honesty, sorry. Honestly, the modesty levels at Con are somewhat confusing because you can get a comment based on, you know, your chest is too showy, but then you see people walking around with pasties and a thong on and they're completely painted. But it's okay for some unknown reason, but you show a little bit of cleavage and, man, people lose their heads. Yeah, it it is definitely interesting. I mean, we've seen that because we've gone around filming where you have one cosplayer that, you know, She's showing some cleavage, like you said, and then you have another, someone that walked off the street that pretty much is Mystique from, you know, the X-Men movie, and not very much is covering there. And you can't really okay cover with much with Mystique. Yeah, and, no. <laughs> and no one's no one's in an uproar over that, but, yeah, it's, it is kind of interesting. The dimensions surrounding it are definitely weird, but, you know. Yeah. Just do what you can. And, and, and I guess maybe it's a little bit different because you're someone that, the convention brought in versus someone that just walked off the street and they don't have a lot of say in that. I don't know. That should be our goal, but, McKay. We need to make you a cosplay that gets us kicked out. Uh, yeah. People <laughs> like to see the beast I have to show. No. <laughs> Let's move on. So, um, you recently just attended the Wild Wild West Con, correct? Yes. So, can you, you want to talk a little bit about that and what happened there? And what you cosplayed. Yes. Um, honestly, that was my first event uh, that I just kind of went to for fun, and I still ended up working slightly. But um, that's the first con that I've gone to, I don't want to say by choice, but for recreation um, in, oh my god, like nearly four or five years now. And um, I ended up being not really put in charge, but like put in charge of helping doing all of the tea dueling stuff. And so I spent a majority of my weekend um, running around like a crazy person because I <laughs> didn't realize how big that studio was. I thought that main street, the main circle street by the courthouse was was it. And so I had a hard time finding some of the places. Uh, I actually didn't even leave that area until the second day and made it over to where the vendors were. And then learned there was a whole other third section that I ended up never making it to because this place was so much bigger than I, I had even realized. And then I finally got a map on Sunday. And by that point, there, there was no point. Or by, by that time, there was no point. Hmm. And um, I actually didn't really cosplay anything specific. I brought a bunch of stuff and tended to cosplay my scarecrow, but... Uh, there was no room in the car for me to bring my scythe because while it's seven foot tall, Jeez. it folds up, but it folds up to be roughly like four feet tall. So not much. And, and um, so I did wear the scarecrow. I just didn't have any gear. 
And then I pieced together random pieces of my cosplay. So I brought out pieces from my Thanos, pieces from my Jean Grey, and just kind of put random stuff together and walked around as a normal steampunk for the first time in a long time. And then I think the best part of Wild West Con was uh, I have some really good friends in ASI who know that I'm super into Final Fantasy and that I've been playing um, the Final Fantasy online pretty regularly lately. And my friend Pez, who is also my new cosplay partner, uh, conveniently just ended up having these white cat ears. And my character in Final Fantasy is a white Makote. Uh, I didn't have a white tail, but I did have a fox tail because it's like all good steampunks. One must have a fox tail. Exactly. And <laughs> I was running around one day um, just in this like cat costume, which um, that was, I want to say Sunday, actually. And then one of my friends, Mr. Fox from ASI, came up to me as soon as I got there Sunday morning and was like, I have a surprise for you. And I had no idea what it could be. He was super excited, so I knew it had to be something good. And he had run around all morning and the night before finding people to get together a light party with gear so that we could go take pictures like we were fighting a cactus like it was a cactar. <laughs> and <awesome>. I was like, <laughs> we got out there and I ended up not having a bow because the girl who I was supposed to be borrowing a bow from, we couldn't find her before the shoot. And so uh, we were just going to have to digitally edit that in. But it was still kind of amazing because I'd never seen uh, whatever those cactus are called. Saguaro? Something like that. We'll go with it. Uh, yeah, that's those are the big Yeah, uh, I'd never seen cactuses. those before. Except, you know, in movies. And um, so we went out there and uh, the we Fox put everybody in their respective orders of where everybody should be based on the character they were. And we took pictures like we were fighting cactus. With a professional photographer, he came out with a crew. I mean, he, Fox really just grabbed everything that he could to make it as professional as possible. And strictly because he wanted me to have pictures like I was fighting a cactus. Not for any, like, professional reason or for cosplay, but just, just because. because. If you can't and, do that kind of stuff every now and then as a professional photographer, then what the hell is the point? Well, you don't get to do that really all the time either, no. even as a professional cosplayer. And I was like, this is the greatest moment of my life. I'm fighting a cactus with a bunch of people also fighting a cactus. That's a sign of the kids. That, that was on Final Fantasy VII, awesome. doesn't it? <laughs> Dan is not impressed. <laughs> no, uh, that's actually funny. Cause it, that's it's, great. It's on Final Fantasy VII. There's like one car- villain that is a cactus. So. Well, there's a there's a whole section. Um, yeah, his name's Cactar. Yep, that's right. There's Cactar. a whole section. In the online version of Final Fantasy, where you walk through an entire desert just full of, like, mini cactars. And the rank A missions are these huge, I mean, like, the cactus out there, the ones that were roughly, like, 20 feet tall, that's probably the size of these cactus in Final Fantasy for the rank A missions. There it is. And so it really puts it into perspective when you go and you stand next to this, like, 300-year-old cactus. That's like, one intimidating-sounding cactus. <laughs> so, so as a gaming girl, are, are you Xbox or PlayStation? Ooh. Uh, 
I have never owned a PlayStation Plus, PlayStation 1. (laughs) I cannot truly answer that question. The one thing that I do love about Xbox is Fable, because I heart Fable. And the controllers are more comfortable. Like, they fit your hand better than a PlayStation controller. We're we're, we're good to be friends. (laughs) So I want to ask you a question, too. In your process of creating cosplays, I mean, we've talked to people from, like, that, what was it called? The uh, Heroes of Cosplay show and stuff like that. And it's all very interesting. For our listeners that haven't seen or heard about that process before, do you want to take us through what you do to create costumes, such as the Samus and the the things that you do that are your own personal touches and so on and so forth? Oh, man. That's a really long process. Um, (laughs) You don't don't have to say everything. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have a um, binder um, in my sewing room, and as I, like, think of cool cosplays, I sit down with whatever I'm doing, like if I'm playing the game or I'm watching it, I'll pause it on whatever I want to cosplay. And I draw out, I sketch out a concept and then I go online and I find as many pictures as I can of different angles. And then I just take them all. And it basically just becomes what can I get done the fastest, depending on what's coming up or what I have time to do. And, uh, it's also a look at, you know, what props I'm going to need for each thing how much the costuming is going to is gonna take to do. Because usually, I mean, the shortest amount of time I've ever pumped out a cosplay is like a week. And even that is quite a bit of time. And that's mm-hmm. for a cosplay that has basically nothing on it. And then it becomes trying to make your own pattern for what you're doing. So I usually scour the patterns that I have to try and find what looks the closest so that I can alter it or I just have to completely make a new pattern for it, which takes a lot of time because you have to, you have to adjust it as you're going. So what you start with may not even be what the pattern that you end up with. So I try to get, I try to do the sewing and the prop building or like the armor building at the same time because I'll get tired of sewing and then I'll go work on something. Um, I don't really do too much in the way of armor building that's not metal or leather. And that's strictly because it's it looks cooler. I don't want to have to make things metallic or make things slick to look like leather. I'd rather just make it out of what it is. And as a professional cosplayer, I can get away with taking metal to the con because they won't say anything to me. Oh, but I man, <laughs> I need one of those licenses or whatever the heck you got. <laughs> I can't imagine going to a con with any of my gear and not being a guest because I would probably be told to take it off. I guess they don't like when you can kill people with what you're wearing. I mean, it's a good rule, but at the same time, I totally get you. I cosplay Wolverine every year, and for the longest time, they were telling me, you can't come in with the metal claws, you can't come in with metal claws. They were legit, too. They looked like they're coming out of your hands. Ended up having to make some plexiglass ones. Now they're approved. They look good. Yeah. But at the same time, totally understand the struggle. Struggle's real. Yeah. I'm just glad I can get away with it. So, plus, working in metal actually makes a lot of the mechanics for movement easier. Because I don't have to... Plastic and... Well, mostly everything else is plastic and foam. Doesn't... It doesn't move as well. Like, if you put a rivet in it, it doesn't... It doesn't slide. It doesn't just... 
you know, there's no flow to it. No, I, I totally Whereas get that. Whereas if I shove a rivet in metal or I shove a rivet in leather, it's going to slide against itself because both of them are slick. And so that makes it easier. Plus, I just can't, I don't know. If it's not super intricate armor, I just can't see building it out of something other than leather and metal. Now, if it's something like the armor that I was talking about for the Dragon Age, that definitely could not be metal. It's just too much. It's going to be really heavy if I do it in metal. Even if I do it in sheet metal, it's going to be heavy. Mm-hmm. And there's so much detail, and you just can't get that. I, well, if I had a laser cutter, maybe, but I do not. I have to cut everything out by hand and then grind it. <laughs> so what is your inspiration behind taking classic characters and throwing them in the steampunk world? Well, when I started in cosplay, I was just doing like anime and gaming cosplays, And then I want to say 2009 is when I first started seeing the aesthetic of steampunk. And at the time, I didn't know what it was. I was just, I'm just into, you know, Tudor, Victorian, Edwardian style and Elizabethan style. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of all goes with the aesthetic of steampunk. And then roughly 2010 is when I learned what it was. But um, I made my first steampunk cosplay in 2010 and just kind of fell in love with the genre. And then um, 2011 was when I started getting asked to come to cons as a guest. And I was doing steampunk, and it wasn't really anything specific. It was just, you know, even cons back then were discovering what steampunk was. And... Then I was like, you know, what can I do that's going to be pretty recognizable that I can make my own? And, of course, comic book characters will never go out of style. Mm-hmm. So it was more of trying to figure out, you know, who I wanted to do, what would make a big impact, and how I could make them into it. Like, how I could throw them into this steampunk universe. And the biggest thing is I can't... If I'm going to make a character and then make it my own, I can't just make it and not give an explanation for how they can do all these things. Because there's really, what, maybe three or four villains and superheroes that don't have some sort of reason or power to what they have. Right. And, you know, magic doesn't really exist in too many steampunk universes. I mean, it's not impossible because steampunk is what you make it. But I didn't like the idea of of using Aether because I don't really put a whole lot of stock behind Aether in the, in conjunction with superheroes. Right, right. And so it was then, you know, how can I make this all technology-based? And so before I even sat down to start building a character, um, I had to come up with a backstory and how they could do what they do. And then I based how I build everything on how they're able to use these powers. So with my Power Girl... The gauntlets that she has, um, the actual story behind it is that um, she stole them. <laughs> Naturally. Um, and they're power gauntlets, basically. They have force behind them. So she doesn't have any real strength. I mean, she has a little bit, but not really much. So the boots and the um, gauntlets are really how she gets her force. And then with my Jean Grey, you know, she has uh, telepathy and um, telekinesis. And so I had the idea that basically it's the same thing, power gauntlets, but they have 
Kind of the same thing as Tony Stark's, where he has the, like, force push in his gauntlets of his Iron Man. So I did pretty much the same concept for Jean Grey. And then the goggles that she wears on her head are, like, neurally connected to her brain and have these little sensors that stick to the temples on your head, which is how she gets the feedback in order to tell her gear what to do. That's pretty I cool. like that. I think when a costume has functionality and purpose to every single one of them, it shows how much love goes into the thing. And even if people recognize that or not, they definitely freaking appreciate it. Well, and there's also a lot of thought that goes into that. Exactly. You know, exactly. How can I make this work in this environment or this world that I've kind of created? That's so a really cool spin cool. on steampunk, I might add. Like, yeah. that's really, really cool. Thanks. Very it's actually It's actually funny because most people don't know that my Jean Grey has those little sensors that stick to your temples. <laughs> and that's completely my fault. When we did the photo shoot for it, I couldn't figure out how to get them to stick to my head because I had maybe an hour to get ready. And I couldn't find any of my spirit gum, had no idea what to do. And so I cut band-aids and rolled them up and then taped it to my head with band-aids. And halfway through the day, like taking photos outside, I got sweaty and then they wouldn't stick anymore. And of course... I did not bring backup band-aids in order to tape them back to my head. And so we just ended up tucking them into my goggles. And I think there's maybe one photo where I'm actually wearing them. And it's because I'm holding it to my head. (laughs) I think cosplayers are some of the most resourceful people on the face of the planet. Because (laughs) band-aids on a cosplay is the epitome of what that means. (laughs) Whatever works. That's what I have. Yep. Now, you also mentioned... uh, that there's some other things you're you're doing. Oh, yeah. So I had a question. So I heard that I guess that you kind of have your own magazine, or that you write for your own magazine. Would you tell me a little bit more about what? that magazine? Yeah. Um. So I was featured in this magazine for a while called Ladies of Steampunk, and they featured a bunch of my um, steampunk superheroes and villains. And then one day, you know, I'd been talking about starting my own magazine that was really more about the community and not just about, like, you know, the girls in it. And um, the owner, Sean, sent me a message, and he was like, hey, I'm thinking about selling the magazine. I wanted you to have the first the first dibs on it if you want it. And, of course, there was really no thinking. I just said, yeah, I want it. <laughs> and um, he had already rebranded by that time and then just decided that uh, he didn't want to do it anymore. So he gave it to me. And I took over, and, I mean, it's a completely different magazine now, whereas before, it was pretty much about the aesthetic of steampunk and, like, you know, the girls in it, because it it was a ladies of steampunk. And now, um, we have um, pictures of a bunch of different people in the community, interviews with, with people. Uh, we do, I get how-to articles, um... From some of my friends in the community, so I have blacksmithing articles in there, and short stories, poems, and it's really it's really a community magazine. Like, if I didn't have submissions from people in the steampunk community, I could not put this magazine together. So everything in it is written or sent in by actual people who do, who, you know, who steampunk. It's not all written by me or some of the other people that work with me. Which, you know, is, I think, it's the greatest thing. Because I'd rather f- flip open a magazine and have an how-to, a how-to so that I can read about blacksmithing from someone who's been a blacksmith for 20 years. 
That is cool. awesome. No, and what is the and, name of the magazine? Um, it's the Hourglass. The Hourglass. Yes. So is it is it just online or it? Can it's you not get it on. Paper? It's online. It's digital okay. and print. Digital and print. Well, even more impressive. Yeah. So. Yeah, I. Print uh, magazines it, seem to be kind of dwindling. It seems. Well, we had to. It was a lot more work than I realized because here in the Houston area. There's not really any small printers. Um, whereas before, uh, Sean was getting a better discount because he's in a small town and they have, you know, hometown printers that'll work with you. Here, if you try and go to a fully functioning professional magazine company, it was, oh my God, I don't even remember. It was like $30 for one issue just to print it. And the only way that you could get a discount is if you ordered over 5000 And, of course, starting out as a small magazine, just rebranding, I'm not going to be selling 5000 copies, like, right out the gate. So I couldn't justify spending $10,000 on 5000 copies. So yes. we went through MagCloud at first, which was really the only decision but a horrible decision because MagCloud doesn't care about quality. They just care about what they're getting. Um, but you could buy it through there and then they would print it and ship it out for us. And then, uh, I discovered, um, a, a local printer who was actually pretty good. Their prices were pretty reasonable. And so then I started printing them myself and then just offering online digitals through the website. And that seemed to go pretty well. And plus I, I like going and printing, picking it up from the printer because then I get to keep a copy. Whereas working through MadCloud, I didn't because I couldn't justify spending the money to buy one, basically buy one from myself and then ship it to myself. And then I was able to actually cut costs too. And instead of offering it for, I can't even remember now what it was on MadCloud, then I could offer it for 15 with shipping, which was a lot more manageable and a lot easier for, you know, customers to, to do as well. Jeez, she's the she's the cosplayer. She's the business owner. She's the editor. She's, she's the I mean, man, the myth, the legend. Yes, everything. Wow. I I do a lot. Well, we commend you because yes. we're just a simple radio show. We don't. <laughs> hey, we, don't we, do we, we got video, We got YouTube videos. Who cares about videos anymore? Uh, <laughs> fine. All that's right. awesome. That's yeah, awesome. no, that is I awesome. Love the that's process. amazing. Uh, we're almost out of time too. This wow, this went by fast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, um, you know, because we are most out of time, is there any other things that you want to throw out there and, and mention real quickly before we're out of time? Well, actually, um, for anybody, I know you guys are out in Utah, but for anybody that's in the Houston, Austin, Dallas area, there is. Um, so, I recently came out and told everybody about my MS, and. Um, I've started doing kind of like MS awareness stuff so that people actually know what it is because it's one of those diseases that people think you're okay, but they don't realize like how bad it actually is Right. because it's, it's all internal. It's basically your body is attacking the lining on your brain, trying to get to your brain. And, um, so there's a charity walk in the, in Austin in October that I'm trying to just get a bunch of people, like even people I don't know, to come out and walk with me and do a fundraiser for it. Awesome. Because this um, this company 
well, uh, they do MS awareness walks all over the country and every year they raise like 50 million, I think it was all across the country, um, just for MS awareness. And a lot of it goes to donating for people to get treatment. And now if you guys have seen my thing on Facebook, um, I'm trying to raise $60,000 right now just so that I can go to Russia to get treatment for MS because it's so expensive. And if I were to get the same treatment that I'm trying to go to Russia for, in America, I'd have to go to New York, and it was, oh my god, I think it's like $150,000 or $200,000, and that's not including having to stay in New York for six weeks, because the treatment is six weeks long. That's, that's, wow, crazy. It's incredible, though, that journey. Yes. Good on you. All right, so, if you're in the area... Definitely uh, go down there, maybe participate or contribute or whatever. Where can they go online to find information on this? I will have to post that to my page because it's a specific website, and I never remember what it's called. But you can type in Walk MS Austin 2016, and it'll come up. And what is your page, so in case any of our listeners want to find you? Um, If you type in Anastasia Dragunov, you should find my page, or you can type in facebook.com backslash Anya Steampunk, and it will be on there as well. Very nice. Awesome. Go check her out, guys. Yes. Take a look at all the cool steampunk epicness. Join the cause. Make a difference. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on the show and talking about steampunk and uh, your magazine. And we'll definitely have to have you come back on again. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great one. Take care. You too. Said, we're out of here, folks. Second nerds. Deadpool. Hey, Dungeon Crawlers, are you wanting to level up your gaming experience? Then we have something just for you. We've recently teamed up with BattleBards to bring you this amazing offer. That's right, if you are interested in adding soundtracks or sound effects to your gaming experience to make it even more amazing and more intense, then this is what you need to do. Go to BattleBards.com, and we have specific DCR codes for you. You can punch in DCR1 at the end of uh, purchasing, and this is valid for the packages of the $10 or the $25 package, or DCR2, which is for the $50 package or the $100 package, or DCR3, which is anything from $150 or the $300 packages. Now, what these do is these give you custom rewards. So, DCR1 will give you one predetermined track for free, uh, and then DCR2 will give you up to five tracks, which is half of an album. And then, of course, DCR3 will give you ten predetermined tracks, uh, which is a full album of audio. Now, this is super amazing and just will allow you to get more for your gaming experience. So, please, if you're interested, run out to BattleBards.com, throw in your coupon code, get free stuff, because who doesn't love free stuff? Until next time, we'll catch you later. <laughs>